Please open your Bibles to John chapter 18. We will go ahead and finish up the chapter today. Last week we studied up through verse 27, so today we'll pick it up in verse 28. But uh, just to review what we've studied in the chapter thus far, Judas has carried out his betrayal of Jesus. 600 plus fully armed men along with the officers and religious leaders came to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus and his disciples were and they arrested Jesus. During this process, Peter woke up from his sleep, which he was doing while Jesus was praying, and he pulled out a sword and he cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. And uh, it mentions that the servant's name was Malchus, and we don't know whether he was the servant of Annas or Caiaphas, because as we've talked about, uh, both of them were recognized by the Jews as high priests at that time, though Caiaphas was the official high priest. But nonetheless, this, uh, you know, as I was thinking about that, this experience for this guy Malchus must have had a, a very big impact on his life. Can you imagine your, your ear has just been chopped off, which had to be very irritating? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Jesus puts your ear back on and it's completely healed? This, to me, would make becoming a follower of Jesus Christ almost irresistible. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try and stop with the ear jokes, but seriously, though. Jesus was about to go to the cross and die as an innocent man, and you would think that this guy, Malchus, must have been amazed at what just happened to him, what Jesus did for him. He had to have struggled with seeing Jesus crucified after what Jesus did on his behalf. And, he, and hearing, um, or excuse me, healing uh, Malchus's ear was the last miracle that Jesus did before going to the cross. But, you know, this had to be amazing. Now, why do I mention all of this about Malchus? Well, because I think it would be irresponsible of me if I did not. Anyway, Jesus has been taken into custody. Peter, as we discussed last week, kept his distance from all that was happening. And he was warming himself by the fire that the enemies of Jesus had made. And Peter then went on to deny Jesus three times. Jesus had been taken to Annas and then, of course, to Caiaphas. Now, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. And I want you to mark this page in your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 26. We looked a little bit at uh, some verses in Matthew chapter 26, the last time we were together. And again, Matthew is to the left of the Gospel of John. It's the first book in the New Testament. Now, the reason I want you to turn here is so that, again, we can get a more fuller picture of what Jesus has been going through since being arrested. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have recorded uh, the same story, it's just that the Holy Spirit gave them different parts of the story uh, to each writer, okay? Now, we're just going to look at Matthew's account of what took place, and I'm simply going to read the verses 
and let them speak for themselves. I'm not really going to comment on them. But here in Matthew chapter 26, starting down in verse 59, it says, Now the chief priest, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And a high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And now we'll go ahead back into uh, John chapter 18 and pick up our study of the the verses for today, like I said, we'll finish out the chapter here. John chapter 18, verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, the praetorium was the governor's palace, and Pal um, excuse me, Pilate was the governor at this time. You see, the Jewish court system in that day was called the Sanhedrin. The high priest, whom they um, now have Jesus before, was the president of the Sanhedrin. Okay, they've taken Jesus before him, the high priest. The Sanhedrin, however, as I've mentioned in a previous study here, they did not have the power to sentence someone to death without Roman the Roman government approving it. And like, like we talked about, if you remember, we talked about Annas, how he had lost his official position as high priest because he had a young man put to death for not observing the Sabbath. So, these Jews wanted Jesus dead, so they took him to the governor's palace. But remember, the Romans are Gentiles. And in order for the Jews to remain ceremonial, ceremonially clean, they could not enter into the praetorium, or they would be defiled and not able to eat the Passover. Now, to me, that's religion at its hypocritical finest. Because here they are, putting an innocent man to death, and they're worrying about their innocence, wanting to remain pure, to observe the Passover. 
and not going into those dirty Gentiles, you know, not going on their property. You know, this reminds me something uh, of something that Jesus said. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. Go ahead and mark again where we are here in John because we're coming back. But Matthew chapter 23. And um, let's look down at verse 23. So Matthew 23, 23. Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You see, a hypocrite is someone that acts religious and even goes to, to great lengths to, to keep all of their religious duties and they may stand up in front of you and profess certain things or tell you how you should and should not live, but then they do other things that are very cruel and insensitive. Jesus says here that they were forgetting about justice, mercy, and faith. And he compares it uh, to making sure a gnat doesn't go down their throat, but they swallow a camel. You know, they, they would observe not eating meat and stuff like that on certain days. You know, all these various different religious ceremony ceremonial things. And, you know, they, they, they strain at a gnat, so nothing would go in their mouth. But he's saying, you're swallowing a camel. You're doing worse things. And turning back to John chapter 18, that's exactly what these Jewish men are doing by wanting to have Jesus put to death, and they themselves won't defile themselves by stepping into to a Gentile building. Not only that, it was illegal for them to take Jesus into custody for no reason, and then they took him to the high priest, Annas, who wasn't really the high priest, this whole thing, this whole trial, everything that Jesus is going through is complete hypocrisy on the part of these men. But anyway, here's Jesus now standing before Pilate. And Pilate is probably completely shocked as to why they have brought Jesus before him. And verse 29 says, Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So it sounds to me like uh, they don't even know. <laughs> First of all, they won't even come into the building. Pilate has to go out to him, and they have no clue. They just say, If he weren't an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. <laughs> Pilate is probably thinking, you guys are a bunch of doofuses. <laughs> in verse 31, and Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Wow, so they seem like the real law-abiding citizens, aren't they? They want Jesus put to death, but they can't do it. So they want the Romans to do their dirty work for them. But you know, 
here again, this is all a part of God's plan. And verse 32 here says in John chapter 18, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Now, what does that mean? Well, you see, the way that Jesus was going to die was foretold by Jesus himself back in John chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 3. This is the way Jesus was going to die on the cross. Chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus here signifies the manner of his death. He would be lifted up on a cross, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. And when Jesus was lifted up, why was he lifted up? so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And back in John chapter 18, go ahead and turn back there. You see, Jesus could not have been put to death by the Jews, because even if the Jews were to put him to death, their manner of putting someone to death was by stoning. And Jesus wouldn't have been lifted up, would he? He wouldn't have died by crucifixion. He would have died by stoning. That wasn't the way he was meant to die. So you see here again, Jesus is still in complete control. God's in control here. Jesus knew the way he was going to die. So he had to go to the Romans. And that's why verse 32 there says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Now moving on, verse 33, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So, as we saw in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has now been severely beaten and despicably treated. Pilate really doesn't want to deal with this situation right now, but he's going to go ahead and appease the Jews and he's going to examine Jesus. And now Pilate, Ask Jesus a question there that is very important for you and I to understand. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Okay, well, I'm going to have you turn again to the book of Matthew. This time, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. Now, notice as we study here what we're doing. We're, we're taking the full counsel of the Word of God, getting the full picture by by studying the Word, the Word, and and turning to different scriptures. So I'm I'm never really going to apologize to you for making you turn to all these places because it's important that we study the Bible in its context and we understand it in its context. Okay, so Matthew chapter two, and. Uh, just going to remind you, Pilate asked Jesus back in John chapter 18, are you the king of the Jews? Now here in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, it says, 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So you see, even at the birth of Jesus, the wise men knew that he was the king of the Jews. And the wise men came to worship him. But 33 years later, turning back to John chapter 18 now, foolish men were beating him and spitting on him. What a contrast, huh? Wise men worship him, and foolish men despise him. And you know what? The same holds true today. And you or, and I were in one of those two camps. We're worshiping him or we're despising him. And after Pilate asked Jesus this question, verse 34 of John chapter 18 says, Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? I like this here, because Jesus just made this whole thing personal for Pilate. And you know, this same question could be asked of people today. Is Jesus the king of your heart? Or do you just know what others have said about him? Have you made your knowledge of Jesus a personal relationship? Or do you think your head knowledge of Jesus is good enough and you'll just work your way to heaven by the good things you do or by the bad things you don't do? You know, hey, I've never murdered anybody. I'm going to get in. Hey, I've never robbed anybody. I haven't beaten up old ladies or anything like that. I'm getting in. Don't work that way. Pilate, in verse 35, answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? So it's kind of interesting here to see Pilate's response to Jesus' question. He deflects the question of Jesus by saying to him, Am I a Jew? Just blows him off. Many people still play that game today when the topic of Jesus comes up. They say things like, Oh, I'm not religious. Oh, I went to church and they're a bunch of hypocrites. Ah, oh, this, that, or the other thing, you know. They want to deflect the whole thing of making Jesus personal. So Pilate says to him, what have you done? And Jesus answers in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now, if Jesus's kingdom is not of this world, then we as his followers should be not of this world either. The disciples in Jesus' day did not fight as if uh, their leader, Jesus, was building an earthly kingdom. And nor should we fight as if we're trying to establish some sort of kingdom here on this earth. 
You see, the Bible is about, first of all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The people of the Bible that were God's people were people that lived this life as if they were just passing through. To get a look at that, let's turn toward the back of our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Again, Hebrews is between Philemon and, and James. In Hebrews chapter 11, it is talking about the Old Testament saints of God. And looking down at verse 13, speaking of the Old Testament saints of God, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Wow. Powerful verse, isn't it? Is that where you are today? Have you established in your heart that this earth is your home or do you realize that you're still seeking your homeland? But your homeland is in heaven. Verse 15 says, And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You know what that tells me right there? The more you focus on this world, the more you become of this world. It says, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. And, you know, when you're focused on Jesus, you're focused on eternity, you're realizing that you're, you're just passing through, you travel light through this life, um, you're going to be a heavenly-minded person as you do that. You won't be burdened down. But the more you look at this world, the more it will bog you down. You know, I, I, I love the words to an old hymn, and I'm really not much of an old hymn kind of guy. I, I like more modern-day worship. But, uh, you know, the old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What does it look full in his wonderful face? And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Verse 16 goes on to say, But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And if you remember back when we studied several weeks back that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. In his father's house, he said, are many mansions. So you see, Jesus was not establishing a kingdom here on this earth, as he told Pilate, and nor does he want us attached to any kingdoms here. You know, we, we uh, 
have a wonderful country that we live in here called the United States of America. And uh, we're blessed, but we're still just passing through. Uh, we're not here to, to, to establish forever roots. We're just passing through, you know? And this world is, is full of evil. And, and anything that our government does that may shock you or whatever, you know, not supporting traditional marriage or different things like that, why should it shock you? This isn't your home. That's the way of this world. And again, as followers of Jesus, we're not of this world. We're in it. And we should have a positive impact upon it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But we don't fight. for it. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal weapons. Don't misunderstand me here. Don't. I'm not talking about war. I'm not talking about our country fighting. And, you know, thank God for, for men and women that have served our country and that continue to serve our country to keep us safe. I'm not even going there. What I'm talking about is where you are spiritually, where you are internally. The Bible says that our weapons of warfare are not carnal weapons, that our weapons, and what are our weapons? If you think about it, they're prayer, faith, hope, love. We're born again people filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and we should be living as such. Yes, we're in the world. So since we're in the world, we got to take care of things in this world. We got to pay our bills. We got to be good citizens in every way, shape, or form. We can love our country and all that, but we need to be heavenly minded. Just passing through. And you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it tells us the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down stronghold. Do you know, you know, prayer changes things. Love changes things. Proverbs 15.1 says, uh, a soft word or a soft answer turns away wrath. Love, man. Kind words. It really does change things. It really does matter. That's the way Jesus lived. He was just passing through, and his kingdom was not of this world, and he doesn't want us being of this world either. All consumed with it, all devoured by it eaten up. You know, we need to travel light. And, you know, we could go into great detail on that topic, and I'm just kind of scratching the surface of it here. But, you know, Ephesians chapter 6, go ahead and turn there. Ephesians is between Galatians and Philippians, back to the left of the book of Hebrews. Ephesians chapter 6, these may be very familiar verses to many of you, starting in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Here it is right here, against spiritual hosts 
of wickedness in the heavenly places? Not heaven. It's not talking about heaven there where we're going. It's talking about the spiritual forces that are in this air. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. There is evil that does rule. There is spiritual forces. But what do we do about it? Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Notice these, these um, you know, weapons of our warfare here, if you will, or this spiritual armor that we are to put on. It's not physical things. We're, we're talking about truth here. Girding our waist with truth, putting on a breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in, in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So you see, it says there in verse 12, that uh, we have this struggle. It's a spiritual struggle. And the weapons that we use to fight this spiritual battle are spiritual weapons. And if you remember, um, Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. Remember when Peter pulled it out? And, you know, we've talked about that. Of course, you remember. Jesus healed the guy. The scriptures we just read, show the armor of God. And you know the only offensive weapon listed there in this spiritual armor is the sword of the Spirit in verse 17. And what is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God. Okay? That's why we study it. That's why I put such great emphasis on teaching it in this way. Now let's get clear on something here too. When a person is born again, Jesus calls this in John chapter 3, being born of the Spirit. And, and you know, just to emphasize this, this is not something that happens externally. It's not something that changes in my outward, in our outward physical appearance, you know? Because if being born again were something that took place externally, and I'd only be 25 years old right now. Well, I'm not. But when I was born again, this was something that took place inside of me. I placed my faith in Jesus and began to study his word. And I began to be changed on the inside. Over time, this uh, internal change became visible on the outside. Today, I still walk in this world and I can be affected by the things that take place in this world, but the Holy Spirit within me keeps telling me in conjunction with the Word of God to be separate from this world internally. Now, I'm going to great lengths here to describe to you what it means to be not of this world. But it's extremely important that we understand this. 
You see, being not of this world must first be internalized before we'll see any impact on the day-to-day things of our lives. And in order to have a change on the inside, we need to have a power that is not our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit doing His work within us. That's what Jesus meant. We're born of the Spirit. We don't have the power to live holy lives, sanctified lives, as we've talked about, being set apart. We don't have that power within our own strength. You know, with this flesh of ours, we can fail at any time. The only way that we can live a life that is not of this world is by living by the power of the Holy Spirit, yielding our lives to the will of the Lord. You know, here we go again. Let's let's turn uh, briefly to Matthew chapter 26. We've studied parts of this chapter over the last couple of weeks and uh you know it's 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 when Jesus was in the garden praying. He's full of sorrow, he's greatly distressed over what he's about to go through. You know, of course they're coming to arrest him and all that. We've already gone through all that. And of course, you remember Peter and the other disciples were sleeping. And looking down at verse 41, Jesus says something here, Matthew 26, 41. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, when you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you've been born of the spirit, you've been born again, the spirit within you is ready and willing to help you live for God but your flesh is still weak. Now, I can go on and on scripturally about this topic of of being not of this world, but for the sake of time, I want us to just look at one more scripture, and I want to give you this scripture because if you apply this one scripture to every aspect of your life, you will keep yourself from being of this world. Now, many scriptures, but I'm just going to give you one here. Philippians chapter 4. It's uh, just after the book of Ephesians, just before the book of Colossians. If you need to, go ahead and look in the front of your Bible and get a page number for where some of these books are. But Philippians chapter 4. And here's the scripture I'm talking about. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things or think on these things. So, here's the thing. Whatever you listen to, whatever you allow to go into your ears, whatever you watch with your eyes, 
use this scripture as a, uh, what do they call that, a litmus test or something? You know, hold, hold it up to this. If you do not allow things in your mind that do not live up to this standard, the things that are true, noble, all that kind of stuff, if you keep those things out, you will find yourself living a life where you can hear the Spirit of the Lord within you, speaking to you, leading you, guiding you. But the more you pollute your mind by what you listen to, by what you see, all of that kind of stuff, the more you pollute your mind with that, the more of this world will be, you will be. Now, like I said, I, I know that's that we, we, we talked a lot there. That's a long exposition on what Jesus said when he said his kingdom's not of this world. But I really do believe that as his servants of his servants, excuse me, it's important that we understand what it means to be not of this world. So let's turn back to John chapter 18. And we're going to go ahead and try and uh, finish out the chapter here. John chapter 18, picking it up in verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So you see there, Jesus testified to the very same thing that the wise men said about him in Matthew chapter 2. He was born a king. And then Jesus says there uh, at the end of verse 37 that everyone who is of the truth Hears my voice. And you know, that's another work of the Holy Spirit within us. When we are living a life separate from this world, we will know the voice of the Lord and we will understand the truth of the Lord and the truth of the Word of God. If you remember, we studied several weeks back in John chapter 10 where Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Pilate here was obviously not a follower of Jesus. And verse 38 says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Notice there that uh, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? But he didn't stick around to wait for an answer. It's easy get this kind of attitude in, in life, and many people have it. You just flippantly throw questions out there about God or about the Bible or whatever, but you really never take time to hang around the Lord to get the answers. But Pilate walks away, and he tells the Jews that he finds no fault in Jesus at all. And there's a good reason for that. <laughs> Because there was no fault in Jesus. 
Pilate goes on in verse 39 to say to the Jews, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, of course, they brought him there. They want him put to death. That ain't going to happen, right? But you know, there's that truth right there. Pilate puts that truth right back up in front of the Jews. What truth is that? That he is the king of the Jews. And that truth could not be escaped by these Jewish people. The wise men proclaimed it at his birth. And Pontius Pilate is proclaiming it at his death. And you know, this greatly upset the Jews. And verse 40 says, Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So here again, we see the hypocrisy of these religious people. Punishing an innocent man and letting a criminal go scot-free. Barabbas was a robber. Jesus was innocent. But you know, this world is full of that kind of thing. And if we, placed our, if we place our trust in the things of this world or the people of this world, we will be sorely disappointed. We need to let go of this world and trust in the Lord with all of our hearts you've been born again, then you need to know that you are just passing through and you need not let this world get a grip on you too tightly. Travel light and let the Spirit of the Lord be your guide. Thanks again for listening. God bless.